This is a joint production of Gospel Tangents and Mormon Book Reviews. An evangelical and a Mormon get together to talk about Mormon history, as well as some interfaith relationships. So it's going to be a fun conversation. I'd like to turn it over to our host, Steve Pineacre. Welcome to Mormon Book Reviews, where an evangelical encounters the restoration. I want to thank all of you for the great feedback that I've been getting from you for the last few weeks since I launched this channel. Now, the goal of the channel is to review the books of my bookcase sitting behind me. And also, I found out that I'm going to also be reviewing books from authors who are already sending me their stuff, which is very exciting. Part of the structure of the of this channel, will I'll do the book reviews, I'll do an occasional commentary called Quick Takes, but the meat of the program is the interviews. My intention is to interview many of the authors of the books that I have uh, reviewed. And then also I want to interview um, prominent Mormons and influencers, such as the individual that I'm going to have on today, which I'm very honored to have one of the people that I've been watching for over three years. I've learned a lot about Mormonism and the restoration and history. Uh, it's been a wonderful uh, time watching the show and I would have never imagined that my very first interview would be with the one and only Rick Bennett. <laughs> what an intro. Wow. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm embarrassed almost by that. But anyway, <laughs> glad to be on your show. Uh, yeah, it's been awesome. You know, it's so funny. I, uh, uh, you and I had the conversation a couple weeks ago where we kind of introduced ourselves to each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, I reached out to you and you were so wonderful in how you uh, responded to me. And so we had a conversation and I worked up the courage to ask you to come onto my show. And so you said with one caveat, I'm like, well, what is that? You got to give me the opportunity to ask you how in the heck did you, this evangelical, get so interested in Mormonism and its history? So yeah. here's your chance, Rick. Here's your chance. Uh, yeah, I'm always amazed when non-Mormons are interested in Mormon history. And so, yeah, what, what got you into that? That's interesting. So, yeah, it's... Uh, Okay, so I started at the age of 10, I would say uh, about there. I was very interested in Mormonism, probably encountered it the first time is when I, I can't, we were staying at a Marriott hotel and I came across the Book of Mormon and I saw the Arnold Freeberg paintings and I was enamored by them. And I'm looking at these battles going on and then I'm looking at this thing, that looks like Jesus in the sky and what's going on here. And I was so fascinated by it. And so that was kind of my first introduction to my parents. Well, it's those uh, people from Utah and they have a different Bible and it's different from ours. And, you know, just the standard, you know, stereotypical stuff. And so, okay, well, then um, around this time, uh, the, about the largest Christian television station in, in the country, which was located in Chicago, actually aired the God Makers uh, on their network. And I actually didn't watch it because it seemed kind of scary to me. But what they did was they kind of previewed uh, the, the series by showing the God Makers cartoon. So imagine being a little kid and seeing that God Makers cartoon, which is basically propaganda, right? And having that kind of influencing the way that you see things. But I was still fascinated by it. And so... Uh, that was that. And then um, I also have to say that growing up, I uh, watched a lot of Battlestar Galactica reruns. And I, I was always a very spiritual person from a very young age. So the themes in Battlestar Galactica, they have a lot of spiritual things in there, like the Lost Tribes and uh, Adama. And then you had, uh, you know, various, uh, you had 
a Satan type character and you had all this good and evil. And it really spoke to me in a way that Star Wars didn't, even though I love Star Wars, the spirituality of Battlestar Galactica spoke to me on a deeper level. Now, do you know that was written by a Mormon? Well, of course I do. Okay, good. <laughs> yes. So let me show you part of my book book collection is actually on the bottom. I have a Cylon from ah. Battlestar Galactica. I have the complete original series. That's funny. <laughs> but yeah, Glenn A. Larson being a Mormon. And of course I found out that uh, Cobol was actually Colob. So, you know, they had Cobol in the, in the uh, uh, Battlestar Galactica show. So that he was, I had no idea that it was, it wasn't until high school that I realized that it had all this Mormon doctrine in it. And I thought, no, yeah. no wonder I liked that show so much because I've been into Mormonism <laughs> most of my life. <laughs> well, who knew about, about uh, Battlestar Galactica was a proselyting tool? <laughs> it kind of was, I guess. Yeah. So it was kind of a, yeah, it was pretty wild. So I, I answered your question. Yep. Did I answer? Okay, so I answered your question. So I have a quick question for you. Okay. What in the world what caused you to? I reach out to you, you reach out to me, and we talk on the phone. I think we kind of bonded pretty quickly. Uh, what made you decide that, that you were going to take a chance on me and take me under your wing like you have? Well, you haven't been one of those jerky evangelicals that I encounter all the time. <laughs> Okay. So I will apologize to all the evangelicals, but a lot of you are not very nice. And you were nice. So, you know, that's all, that's all it takes. Just be nice to me and I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll be nice to you. So Okay. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, I've been on the, on the bad side. I've seen the bad side of evangelicalism too. So I'm very sensitive to uh, trying to be Christ-like and show a compassion and try to show understanding for people that are different from yourself. That's what Christ was all about. And I try to remind mm -hmm. my evangelical friends, you know, I've told a few about this and they're like, well, just be careful. You know, you got to, well, that's fine. As long as you're correcting them. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm exactly. here to have a conversation. And, and I really feel like there's a lot that we as evangelicals can learn from the restoration. Well, and, and to be fair, you know, nobody likes to be corrected, um, and and Mormons like to correct a lot of people as well. I know there can be jerk Mormons out there too, and um, so yeah, nobody wants to be corrected all the time. If you want to, if you want a real dialogue, you know, I have a great admiration for. Uh, I don't know how to say his last name very well. I think it's Richard Muau. Um, He's an evangelical. They do a lot of stuff with BYU and uh, interfaith stuff. And those are people that I just have tremendous respect for. And, uh, and I, I appreciate people like that who, who aren't trying to correct and are trying to understand. And I think if more of us talked with uh, an idea of understanding instead of an idea of, hey, I'm going to convert this person, we could, get a, we could go a long way. So. And, and that goes for Mormons as well as evangelicals. Don't try to correct everybody. Just be understanding and, and interested. That, that's the main thing. No, amen to that. So just, just to add one more little thing about me, because this is kind of going to be my introduction to the many of the LDS, and that is I do come from an evangelical background, but I had some faith struggles throughout the years, and I've kind of come through the whole spectrum of one's faith journey that you would take. And now I'm coming back into it with my eyes wide open, with a better understanding of uh, what it means to be a person of faith and to, to be tenderhearted and be humble. And so that's kind of what's led me into that. Now I have a lot of interesting things that have happened to me in the past, but my main thing is, is that that has informed me 
And it's allowed me to engage people like you. And again, so many people from the various restoration branches and and uh, and and Missouri and, and and Utah and everything. They've been so they've shown so much Christ-like love towards me that to me that's that's I, that's what I'm feeling. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to go with the flow. So that's that's a little bit of background for us and our where we how we ended up here, right? Yeah. So now I guess now the interview begins, Rick. Well, well, before before you go there, I just want to add one more thing. I just had a interesting Facebook conversation with. Uh, LDS gentleman, I'll, I'll I'll try to keep it a little bit um, generic, but at any rate, um, <laughs> one of his questions to me was, you know, how do you keep your faith knowing all this intellectual stuff, and do you know any LDS authors that speak to you? And I was like, um, and he named a few, but I'm I'm not going to do any name dropping there. But I said to him, you know, there are some. Um, some non-LDS authors that I just absolutely love, and I will name drop them. Um, John Dominic Crasson, he's a former Catholic priest. He's in the Jesus Seminar. I could listen to him for hours. Uh, John Spong, who's an Episcopal, I guess a former Episcopal priest. I think he just retired. I could listen to him for hours. Bart Ehrman, he's a former evangelical. Um, uh, there's a guy, archaeologist, University of Arizona, William Deaver. Um, Rabbi uh, David Wolpe or Wolpe, I don't know how you say his last name. Um, those guys, I just think, are spiritual giants that I can learn a ton from, and I, I just have tremendous respect. So, uh, you know, there are LDS people too, but those are some some non LDS people that I really really admire. So, um, even even we LDS can can learn a lot from from non-LDS scholars. So, yeah, well, those are, those are some giants. They're intellectual giants. And these are people who um, know a lot, but have on, on varying levels of had of do have faith. And that's important. And that's a good jumping off point because uh, where we can, where, where reality and science and the spiritual meet, that's kind of where we need to be. And mm-hmm. rather trying to make one force one into the other, if we can find a happy medium there, we can certainly, uh, I think be live more fulfilled lives and it will actually inform our spiritual lives. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very important. So, well, John, I appreciate, I mean, Rick, oh my goodness, John, uh, Rick. I, <laughs> yeah, don't get me mixed up with John DeLynn. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about him. Oh boy. Boy, they, <laughs> so, uh, but you know, Rick, I, I, like I said, this has been great and I'm, I'm really enjoying this. And so I guess I'm just going to get to the interview here and, um, I guess my first question is, tell me, I want a little background about you. Uh, where were you born and were you born in the covenant? I was born in the covenant. Um, I was born in Ogden, Utah and, and uh, lived in Davis County. Uh, Ogden's in Weber County. So if you're not super familiar, but not far from Ogden till I was about 10. Um, when we were 10, my dad got a promotion to New Hampshire or as they say, New Hampshire. And uh, we moved to to New Hampshire for about four years, um, and that's where I became a huge Red Sox, Celtics, Patriots um, fan, Bruins fan. So um, then we moved back to Ogden um, when I was in high school, and I've lived in Utah pretty much the rest of my life, except for, of course, a a two-year mission in Georgia and South Carolina, so... That's very interesting. I spent a little time in Ogden. My sister actually took a job at a evangelical church 
in North Ogden. Oh, okay. So I did, I did visit, I was, I did walk around and that was my one, my two days in Utah and I had the opportunity to go to uh, Temple Square. So mm. I've been to your neck of the woods, which is awesome to know. So right. you are from, you're in Utah and, and, uh, you go to high school, I'm assuming, uh, in, in everything like that? Yeah, I went to two different high schools. Uh, one was called Ogden High, and the other one was Bonneville High School. So so now one of the things that I'm probably going to get to in a little bit, but uh, in your high school and perhaps even college, were you involved in sports at all? So we were, uh, yeah, I'm a huge sports fan. Um, so I, I ran cross country, and I was on the basketball team um, at Bonneville, and we were the state champs my junior year. Um, my varsity career lasted 39 seconds, <laughs> but, uh, we, we won state. So, you know, it's one of those things <laughs> I always look back at, at Ogden. Um, I, I played my freshman year at Ogden high and the coach told me as we were moving in out of the school district, Oh, I wish you would have stayed. You would have been a starter. And I was like, Oh, you know, don't tell me that. So it's kind of like, should I have stayed a starter in, on a bad team or, you know, a bench warmer on a good team? And uh, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't like sitting on the bench. <laughs> I, but, I, can, uh, I can imagine. I, I played basketball as well, and I can understand the, the temptation. I, you can always say you were on a state champion. They can't right. take that away from you. Right. So, yeah, huge into sports, baseball, football, basketball. But, yeah, kind of – and then – a little bit of tennis. Uh, we were big. My brother, my brother actually lettered in tennis and we were big. Uh, that was big when John McEnroe and Jimmy Connors and all those guys were, were good. So uh, I'm sure that dates me a little bit, but I, I was a huge tennis fan back in the day. So that was quite big back in the day. I, I do remember that. So here you are, you're, 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 you're kind of a jock, right? A little bit. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're, it used to be a former jock. <laughs> okay, a former jock. So now, of course, you go to high school, and then uh, I'm I'm going to assume the timeline is that you go to college, and then you you for one or two years, and then you serve a mission. Would that be the correct timeline? So you know, it's funny. I actually went to college during high school. Um, I got tired of sitting on the bench, so my senior year, I went to to Weber State uh, halftime, and I actually graduated from high school with a math minor. Um, so yeah, uh, if you, if you look at when I started my junior year to when I graduated, it was about six years, but you know, one of those years was in high school and two of those years were on a mission. So, okay. Kinda, well, so I kind of graduated in three years, but yeah. Okay. Well, that's strange. You made a comment to me about you being a math geek. Can you just yes. digress and tell me a little bit? What well, you can you see my, my math books down there. So I, uh, so I went to college, I majored in math, um, and uh, then I got my master's degree. Well, I took a 15-year break between my bachelor's degree and my master's degree. Um, I was teaching. Well, my first job out of college was I was they wanted somebody who uh, had uh, knew a little bit about statistics, and I had just taken statistics as kind of an elective. Um, but I knew enough to do the job, and and I did I did pretty good at it. Um, and then I thought, oh, you know, it, it took me four years of, or three years of college before and a, and a degree before I was like, oh, I, I kind of like statistics. Maybe I should get a master's degree. Um, I didn't get accepted the first two years that I applied, and then I ended up uh, changing jobs and switching to become a kind of a, a network administrator, computer geek. 
And I did that for about eight years. And then uh, my company kind of had a, a layoff and I got laid off and I was sick of computers by then. And uh, one of my coworkers was a, uh, he hired teachers at a little college in Ogden. Um, I don't even want to name it because it's a terrible place to work, but, um, but it got me teaching and I, I kind of fell in love with teaching and, uh, you know, push, I did that for about a year and a half. And then I, I thought, well, I can do this at Salt Lake Community College. And they were like, we won't hire you unless you have a master's degree. But then they hired me. <laughs> and so I taught it at the Salt Lake Community College for, gosh, about 10 years. And then I, now I teach at Utah Valley University. Uh, in the meantime, I, I, after a 15-year break between my bachelor's and my master's degree, I, I got a master's degree. So now I'm, I'm uh, competent, I guess, to, to teach statistics. So, And at, at Utah Valley, they have uh, – well, at least when I started, uh, almost every semester I teach statistics now. Um, and so I, I really enjoy statistics and it's a lot of fun. So, Well, that's okay. So now, okay, so let me see here now. We got a kid who, born in Utah, becomes a Red Sox fan, is a sports, uh, is, a, a, is a jock, but he also mm-hmm. is a math geek, uh, well-educated. This is an interesting picture that we're developing here. <laughs> And how did he get in Mormon history? <laughs> well, I was going to lead to that. <laughs> but before we do that, because uh, this in this period of time, of course, you would have served your mission. So I'd like to mm-hmm. know uh, where you served your mission and how did you enjoy it? So, yeah, I got called to, uh, it was a South Carolina mission, but we covered about a third of Georgia, kind of the eastern part of Georgia there. Um, so I actually started and ended my mission in Georgia, um, started at uh, Fort Stewart, Georgia, which is just southwest of Savannah, about about 25 miles. It's funny because everywhere in Georgia, there were I, almost everywhere I was at a military base. So I started at Fort Stewart, Georgia. Then I went to um, Sumter, South Carolina, where they've got an Air Force base there, Shaw Air Force Base. Um, then I went to Spartanburg, which was kind of a college town. That was the only town that I didn't wasn't military. Then I went to Columbia, which is Fort Jackson, and then I ended up in Augusta and Fort Gordon. So, um, so I spent a lot of time around a lot of military people, um, and you know, have to say I loved the winters in South Carolina <laughs> and Georgia. Um, it snowed twice. One time it snowed, and melted, and then the other time it snowed, and it stayed cold for about a week. And they pretty much shut down the state, and I was like. Oh man, this is nothing. What are you talking about? But I will say they didn't have any snow plows. And so the roads were actually pretty, even though it was only like three or four inches, it stayed on the roads because they didn't have any way to get off the roads. And, uh, you know, that was, that was kind of funny because we get tons of snow in Utah and that's, that was just nothing. But, um, but yeah, it was great. Um, you know, Bible Belt, um, we, we met a lot of Baptists and Pentecostals and, you know, and my mission president was, uh, well, I think it was the one before, but my mission president kept it um, where we had to, we had 180 scriptures that we were supposed to memorize. They had a telestial, terrestrial, and celestial level. <laughs> and uh, so I, I actually, I was I was pretty good at memorizing those scriptures and they came in handy. Um, and I, I, I confess 
<laughs> that I enjoyed uh, what we called Bible bashing with, uh, you know, we'd uh, we'd get with preachers, or whatever, and you know, hammer out the scriptures, and and mostly it was proof texting. Um, where you were taking scriptures out of context, but but it was fun. I I enjoyed that. That that was kind of right up my alley. And and uh, but um, towards the end of my mission, um, I had a couple of really good companions, and they rather than Bible bash, they would they used the scriptures in a way that was was more loving than more contentious, and I was just like, wow. I, I was just so impressed. Um, of, I, I still remember Elder Griffiths, and he doesn't even remember me, but he like laid such a, a foundation for me. Um, and in how, if you're really going to try to convert somebody, you do it through love. You don't through it, do it through through intellect. And uh, I, really, I will say, I, I only spent about three weeks with him. I think that's why he doesn't remember me, but I sure remember him. And. Uh, um, I've actually caught up with him and he's like, now, nah, now nah, who are you? And I was just like, wow, <laughs> you changed my mission and you don't even know who, who I am. But uh, yeah, it's funny how, how some of those things work. People who you, you don't realize the impact you have on um, and other people are like, wow, how impactful that was. So uh, that's fascinating. I, yeah. So here you are, you're in the buckle of the Bible belt and you're encountering mm-hmm. all these evangelicals and fundamentalists. We're, I believe that sounds like you would have been in the Bob Jones University oh, territory. Yeah. yeah, so that's uh, those are a notorious group. They're kind of even kind of viewed with, well, the evangelicals and them kind of view each other with suspicion. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, because they're so far out there. Um, I actually attended Christian schools, so we actually used some of Bob Jones' curriculum in their oh, textbooks. Wow. So I, I know them. I'm I'm acquainted with them. Did you ever have any run-ins with them? You know, I never did. Spartanburg was a little, it was, it was close to, I'm trying to remember if, was it was Bob Jones in Greenville? I can't remember. Yeah, I know it was in that general vicinity. Yeah, because Greenville, Spartanburg are close together. Our, our zone, we had a zone. and and uh, But but I was more, there was, a, I think, a Radford College. They were mostly college. It was more of a college town. Um, and I, I didn't really run into any Bob Jonesers, but we were we were sure familiar with them. We, we knew who they were, so. Yeah, they're, they're they're notorious and infamous with us too. So, did did you baptize in the evangelicals? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it's funny because they're like, you shouldn't count how many you did. My mission was kind of tough in that um, I only baptized like one person the first eighteen months, and. That was a real struggle for me because all the guys that I came out with were baptizing all over the place. And I was like, what's wrong with me? And um, and I think it was kind of once again, you know, kind of what I was talking about. I enjoyed the debate and I enjoyed the contention and it was it was fun to, to bash. And I didn't I didn't do it in a loving manner. And and like I said, that uh, that Elder Griffiths um, taught me how to use the scriptures in a loving manner. On the last six months, I had a lot more success, and uh, we baptized quite a few. Um, honestly, I don't, I don't. I'm trying to remember if any of them would call themselves an evangelical. You know, I will say this, at least from a, and I don't mind using the term Mormon. I know what our prophet said, but that's fine with me. I don't care. <laughs> but from a Mormon point of view. Um, I don't even really understand. Like we, we, you got your Catholics, you got your Protestants, you've got your evangelicals, and I don't really understand 
what's the difference between a Protestant and evangelical? Um, and I don't, it just seems like the evangelicals are the more missionary minded and the Protestants may not be. Is, is, is that a good definition? Yeah, so I, I think the best way to look at it is that within Protestantism, every single Protestant denomination has what you could call an evangelical slash charismatic wing. Okay, some evangelicals are charismatics, all charismatics are evangelicals. And so you'll have churches within, even the Church of England, you have evangelical churches in the you know, Church of England, the, the, the Episcopal Church, or Anglican Church as they call it in England. So throughout all of Protestantism, you have this uh, evangelical streak. Now, what essentially happened is, like, for instance, that the, the Protestant churches that Joseph was dealing with, I would say they were definitely evangelical, okay? So the mainline churches were all what we would call evangelical today. As modernism entered into the church in, in going into the 19th and the early 20th century, what you had was a modernist, fundamentalist, or conservative split in every single church. And so uh, you then have mainline Presbyterians, which is Presbyterian church, the evangelical Presbyterian church, which is the liberal one. But then you have the Presbyterian church in America, which is, a, is conservative and evangelical. And, and you have like that same uh, pattern in almost every denomination where you have a liberal mainline church and then it's conservative offshoot. So they might still have Lutheran in their name or Presbyterian, uh, but the mainline has those names, but then there's evangelical ones that are very similar in their name. And then from that, you had the charismatic mo renewal movement, which happened in the 60s and 70s. And that caused kind of a different parachurch, a parachurch paradigm shift, where then it went from being associated with a denomination to individual churches starting on their own and maybe affiliating with each other in loose confederations, or those parachurches starting smaller churches and, and growing them throughout the country like Calvary Chapel did in the 70s, which is big in California and such. So that's kind of the difference is that Protestant is the old line. We call it the main line, but really it's the old line. And now evangelicalism is the ascendant part of Christ Protestant Christianity. And evangelical is appropriate because they're trying to evangelize. Is that, does that kind well, of- And when you say charismatic, I, I think of Pentecostals speaking in tongues, people with kind of raucous you know, clapping in church and maybe drums and guitars and things like that. Whereas Protestant mainline, you know, would be more subdued worship services. Is is that kind of a fair breakdown of how that is? It's it's all those all those conventions are breaking down. And uh, basically, what happens is even with your mainline churches, you have a situation where um, the evangelical the, the traditional churches now have contemporary service and traditional service every Sunday morning. So many of them are doing that. I guess the biggest difference um, is that Pentecostals came out of Southern California, Azusa Street around 1906. And these were basically poor people, um, Black people, as well as Armenian. The Kardashian family comes from the Pentecostal movement, just so you know, and I can actually yeah. give you inside information on that. But essentially, the Armenian population uh, migrated to Southern California and joined forces with the basically the lower destitute people of society. It was interracial. It was not, not, it was not segregated. And, they, and that's where the Pentecostal movement came out of. And they started their own set of denominations, which can be called Pentecostal denominations. Then in the 60s and 70s, you had the charismatic movement. My father was a chapter president of the Full Gospel Businessmen's Association, and they were very uh, big in pushing the interdenominational 
um, speaking in tongues and charismatic and the gifts of the spirit in all of the Protestant churches, also the Catholic church. So my dad's area also included South Bend, Indiana. And he would have these Catholic priests praying over people, speaking in tongues. One Catholic priest would go, he'd be praying over people and he'd have a cigarette hanging out of his mouth while he was praying for people. So it was a real mishmash, kind of like Kirtland, 1831, 1832, a lot of stuff going on, right? And so that's how you differentiate. The charismatics come out of the Protestant movement. The Pentecostals are their own kind of beginning thing around 1906. Hmm. Yeah, it's some of the, the divisions still. Oh, it's very confusing. Right? But then, of course, as I've been delving into the restoration, guess what I found? <laughs> 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 yeah, it, it can get confusing with Mormons, too. Exactly. Yep. So here we are. You're, uh, we've kind of painted a picture of Rick Bennett and who he is. The math geek and the, the, the jock, the well-educated man. And of course, I just want to throw this in just briefly. You, so you, uh, one of your jobs is that you are in the sports broadcasting industry. Mm -hmm. uh, you want to speak to that just a little bit? Yeah. So it's kind of funny. My, uh, <laughs> my brother was really into TV sports. Uh, he he got, was a producer at uh, Fox uh, and uh, NBC affiliate here in, in Salt Lake City. And um, ESPN came to town one time and said, can you, can you help us out for a football game, University of Utah? And he was also a DJ, and the night, and the night that they wanted him to come, he, he couldn't because he was working. So he asked me if I would go in his place, and I'm like, are you kidding? ESPN, <laughs> this is awesome. And so I went in his place, and uh, that was 25 years ago. <laughs> and I've been doing it ever since. It was funny because it wasn't looking to do it, and it was just fun. But I run the little scoreboard on your screen. You know, flag, first and 10, second and eight, you know, jazz on a 10-2 run, whatever. So I do lots of sports. I've done water polo. Uh, you know, I do a lot of little work for um, a lot of work for the Pac-12, uh, some work for the Utah Jazz, you know, CBS, NBC, ABC, whoever comes to town. Um, so occasionally I'll do some out-of-town stuff. When I was doing ESPN's kind of come back, uh, and so, for, at least with me. Uh, I used to do a lot of college football, and I, you know, I've been to Florida State, I've been to Rutgers, I've been to Michigan, you know, the big house, and so, I mean, for me as a sports fan, it was a dream come true to get paid to watch sports. Are you kidding me? This is awesome. So, okay, so Rick, you have this extraordinarily fulfilling life. It sounds like to me, and of course, let's before we get into where we're heading, tell me a little bit about your family wife and kids and all that. So, yeah, I was a late bloomer. I, d I didn't get married until I was in my 30s, um, but I've been married about 20 years, so I guess I'll do the math. But, um, yeah, I've got three kids, um, two in high school and then one in sixth grade. He's almost junior high. So uh, it's funny, my, my two oldest, um, sometimes they'll be working and it'll just, just be my wife and my youngest son and me for dinner. And it's like, what happened? <laughs> where, where is everybody? So they're, they're growing up and, uh, you know, my oldest, he's 18. He'll, he'll be graduating from high school here in a few months. And so it looks like he's, he's going to go on a mission, but we hasn't put in his papers yet. He wants to do a triathlon, um, before his mission, 
which is pretty impressive. He's on the track team and swim team and cross country team. So um, he's he's a much better, faster runner than I ever was. I only did cross country for about a year uh, and focused more on basketball, which was probably if I wanted to play that was the, that was the wrong move. But I like basketball more. But uh, yeah, so he's he's and I, I'm a terrible swimmer. He's a much better swimmer than me. So. Um, but yeah, so then I, my kids are PB and J, Preston, Brandon, Jessica, which we didn't really do on purpose, but <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's awesome. They have that and you weren't even planning on it. That's hilarious. Yeah. So you're going to have a future Iron Man in your family. That is pretty yeah. cool. Dude. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully he gets a mission to a place where there's a lot of terrain and he can practice yeah, and everything. <laughs> he'll, get, he'll go to Hawaii. You watch. No, he <laughs> yeah, actually, like, he's been taking a bunch of Chinese classes. So, um, Maybe he'll go to China. Who knows? We'll wow, boy, what a, what a time to go there. Mm, yeah. Interesting. So we got, so boy, so you got the family, you've got a fulfilling life, you're into sports, you're into math, and you're a well-educated man. And all of a sudden you decide you're going to start doing something called Gospel Tangents. Now, what was the, the, the seed of that? Where was the idea? And, uh, and, and how did, what made you decide to want to do something like that? Well, you know, I've always been really interested in in uh, the scriptures and church history. Um, I guess the first seed. Um, I don't know if you do. You remember the old TV show Mysteries of the Bible? It was on A and E for the biography. Oh channel. yes, I loved that show. I am sometimes I even show clips of it in my Sunday school class, <laughs> and uh, I just I don't know. I've always been a, a huge. Bible fan, um, Book of Mormon fan. And so, um, so about when was it right after? So when I, when I went back to get my master's degree, I quit my job and, um, and uh, decided to go back to school and I got a part-time job and, and I had a lot more time as plus I was commuting up to the university of Utah and I got into podcasting and, and I decided to start my own blog. And I, so I did a little bit of blogging for about 10 years. And then I thought, you know what? Um, I, I, I like this. I'm going to, I'm going to put my name out there and we'll see if anybody listens. And, uh, so I decided to start gospel tangents. Um, let's see, this is my fifth year. So about four and a half years ago. So, um, and I should mention the name, you know, gospel tangents. I had, uh, <laughs> I had a couple of friends in college and, um, they were debating about whether Adam had a belly button or not, which apparently I didn't know at the time somehow related to the Adam God doctrine. I don't, I don't know how that works, but anyway, um, so we were standing there talking, you know, kind of debating this and I don't know that anybody even would ever know, but, and the one guy made a quip, yeah, this is the gospel tangents class out in the hall. And I just thought that was the coolest name. (laughs) So that's, that's kind of where I got the name. And then uh, when my kids were younger, um, they were probably eight, nine, ten, around there. And I would, I had told them a Book of Mormon story, and they didn't know. They didn't know it. And I was like, "You don't know about Nephi and Laban, and you know all that stuff." So I was like, "All right, well, we're gonna make. I'm gonna make a little Book of Mormon for kids." And then my my tenure goes. We could sell it, and I'm like, nobody's gonna buy this. Are you kidding me? But then I thought, oh, you know, Amazon has this thing where you know you can publish it. I was like, we'll sell it for a dollar, and, and I was shocked. 
so my kids drew these little like stick figure drawings. They're not good at all, <laughs> but you know that were what they did. And the purpose was just to teach them about the scriptures. And I printed out a copy, and but I was shocked um, that people were buying these things. You know, for a dollar, who cares? So then, um, so we did a Bible for kids. We, we that we were like, oh, we're going to sell that one for three dollars because you know that anybody will buy that. And so, um, so I kind of did that under the gospel tangents umbrella um, at the time. But yeah, it was it was about four and a half years ago when I finally said, "I love Mormon history. I'm gonna I'm gonna start doing this." So now, were you always like? I mean, I know you mentioned mysteries of the Bible and how interesting to that. Were you interested in Mormon history when you were around your kids' age, like that eight, ten, eleven, twelve years age, or when? When did you decide you were, or when did it become interesting to you? I guess. So you know, I got married in two thousand and. I believe, if I remember right, it was about 2000, maybe it was 2002, because we have pictures of my wife um, pregnant, so she was pregnant with my oldest son, and um, we were at Nauvoo, and so uh, my sister said, hey, you know, it's the brand new open house, we should go see the Nauvoo temple, and you know, that's such an important temple historically um, for Mormons, and so... So we decided it's the only time we've ever done a family trip. So my parents went, my sister went, we went, um, and we went to Nauvoo and went through the temple. And of course, you know, the, the LDS church has a bunch of sites there and and the community of Christ does too. And so it was really interesting for me to go to these community of Christ sites and and because they're just as big a fans of Joseph Smith as we are, and uh, and to hear their things. And I I remember at the time, I didn't know that Emma had remarried, um, married a guy named Louis Biedemann. And then I found out um, in college, uh, the LDS Church has this thing called LDS Institute, and it's usually it's like a church building. It's either on campus or right off campus, and they have it at, at many campuses across America. And so my institute teacher um, had written a book called What Happened to the Family of Joseph Smith. And so that was probably the first church history book I read because I was just so enthralled with church history. And my mom says, oh, Gerald Johansson, you know, your institute teacher. Oh, he was our bishop too previously. Uh, He had written this book. So I went and bought it and I just kind of ate it up. So that was kind of the beginnings of my kind of delving in. Um, the church history was probably about 2002. Um, but, you know, I've always kind of had a really uh, interest in the scriptures and interest in the Bible and, and stuff like that. And so, um, but, you know, that Nauvoo trip was a lot of fun. And um, and then when I went and got my master's degree, I started that in 2006. Um, and I had a little bit more free time. So I was kind of, I started blogging, started reading books. I got in a Mormon book club, which most people, guys don't do book clubs. That's what girls do. But but a bunch of guys, we got together. We we're going to read Rough Stone Rolling. But we did it for about a year. And all these books that I would have never read. Um, at the time, I had already read Rough Stone Rolling, so I didn't have to reread that one. But but it was just fun to get together with a bunch of guys and talk about church history. And unfortunately, that kind of fizzled out. But I... Uh, yeah, the Mormon question. I remember that was a book we read by Sarah Berenger Gordon, and she's non-Mormon, by the way. And um, anyway, I just I just ate it up, and it's it's fun for me. So, 
Oh, that's that's funny. I just, it just dawned me. So you 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 really got into this around 2002, and of course, I was I'm younger than you, so technically I've been into Mormon history longer than you have. But uh, <laughs> I was I didn't expect that. That's very interesting. <laughs> so, um, yeah, this is uh, so. I I wanted to ask a little bit about your experiences doing the podcast. Like, I'm going to start with. Um, tell me about some of your favorite guests that you had on the show. Oh, that's like picking my favorite ice cream. <laughs> okay, so you only have two. You only have um, two that you can think of off the top of your head. <laughs> uh, favorite guests, um, Matt Harris. He I, he feels like a brother to me. I, I I I could have Matt Harris on every every month. I swear, um, he's 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 fantastic. Um, uh, Paul Reeve. He was one of my first interviews. I need to get Paul back on. I haven't had him on for a long time. He's he's and you'll probably notice a pattern. Um, both Paul and Matt are uh, really good historians with uh, issues around race, race and the priesthood. And as you know, we've had a we had a priesthood ban. Well, that's the interesting thing. Most people think it was originated with Joseph Smith, but um, a historian by the name of Lester Bush um, was the first to say no. There there were actually black priesthood holders in the days of Joseph Smith. And it was really Brigham Young that instituted, and that has uh, has pretty much held up. And so Matt and Paul have kind of taken over with um, from Lester, and uh, have produced some great work. Um, Neil Bringhurst is another one. That's one of my favorite subjects. I found it's not necessarily the favorite subjects of my audience, but it's one of my personal favorite topics is to talk about racial issues and and blacks in the priesthood. Um, so, you know, other ones, I, I like to talk to polygamists, um, uh, Benjamin Schaefer and uh, um, David Patrick from Christchurch. They're a polygamous offshoot uh, in southern Utah. Um, who else? Um, David Osler. I like David Osler. He's written a book on um, how to deal with faith crisis, which, you know, <clears throat> It seems to be a big problem, not just in the LDS church, but uh, all churches in general. There's just such a lot, a lot of people that are uh, losing their religion, you know, to, to quote R.E.M. <laughs> and uh, um, I, that's a fantastic book. I think every bishop, um, probably Protestant person as well as, as LDS person, should get that book. Um Anyway, I, I could wow. go on and on. There's, well, there's yeah, of, that's interesting. Yeah, well, you, you'd mentioned the polygamists, so I just have to kind of. Do they ever go to you and say, you know, Rick, this is the way to go. This is how to do it. Do they ever? Do you ever have like, whether it's them or other groups? They do you have anybody try to proselytize you into their group? I not really. Um, you know, the interesting thing about Christchurch is they do have missionaries, and um, you know, they have the Sunstone. Um, symposium usually in the summer usually in salt lake city and uh, so they have missionaries there that, that attend sunstone which you'd never ever see lds missionaries doing that um and uh but you know i've i'm not a fan of polygamy um <laughs> I, they know it probably <laughs> you know i don't know how well they know it but um but yeah i just i I have I have big problems with polygamy, but I I think Lindsay Hanson Park I don't know if you know her but she she gets proselytized way more than I do. Um, 
So, yeah, she's got, she's got a lot of stories to tell. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine she's really deep in 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 the waters there. I, I've seen some of her stuff, so I'm aware. Yeah. So, um, what what was one of the more surprising interviews or guests that you had that really kind of took you off guard or just kind of surprised you at something they said or did, or maybe their personality was something that was different than what you expected? Well, the two the two that bring to mind actually my current interview. Um, with Brent Ashworth when he told me that uh, he sat next to Ted Bundy in class. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. You know, how many people know two serial killers, Ted Bundy and Mark Hoffman? I was just like, are you kidding me? This is unbelievable. Um, but one of my very first ones was with Paul Reeve. And, um, you know, the the Gospel Topics essays had just come out. I guess it'd been out a little while, but... Um, but nobody knew who had written them, and I'd heard rumors that Paul had had uh, helped with it, and so so I just I asked him, and I was I was so nervous to ask him because I didn't think he'd answer, and he's like, yeah, I I, I had something to do with that, and I'm like, tell me more. It was, it was my first scoop. Um, I remember my my numbers, you know, they were tiny and they just shot up. That especially that episode, um, and because I, you know. I, I felt bad afterwards because I the the title of it was Paul Reeve wrote the race essay, and to to be honest, Paul Reeve had written like a forty page paper that they had condensed down to eight, um, and highly edited, and and so Paul didn't even though he kind of wrote the foundation of it, um, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't his true feelings, and it had been edited so much, and he didn't appreciate that title. Um, plus it might've got him in trouble and I was like, I'm sorry. So I, I changed it. But, um, now I, I think it's, well, I, I remember I, I changed it at the time to Paul Reeve modern lessons. And then, um, I had a few other people. I asked Ugo Perego if he had written the DNA essay and he, like Paul had, had helped with that one. And, um, Brian Hales helped with the polygamy essay. And, uh, I remember I said something about, uh, Brian Hale's role with the polygamy essay. And then I thought, Oh, I'll do the same thing with Paul. So talk about his role. He had a role in it, but he wasn't necessarily author. So, so basically you're telling me that you're interviewing authors, not knowing who wrote the gospel uh, topics essays, you're interviewing them and you're starting to realize, wait a second here, you know, like, is that, so you're kind of on your own, kind of discovering who wrote these gospel topics. Well, I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a big logic leap to, I'd heard rumors about Paul, so I was pretty sure Paul had. I was just surprised he he said yes. I didn't. I didn't. I thought he would dodge and and that sort of thing, but he didn't. He he answered it. And Ugo, like everybody knew, Ugo wrote it. That wasn't this big surprise. And 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 Brian Hales, like he's Mister Polygamy, so that one wasn't a real surprise. Um, but it was nice because I was the first one to to kind of do the breaking news um, on those. So so that was fun. Huh. So we go to most surprising then to, without naming names, what would you say was probably like the most disastrous interview or situation that happened while you were doing a, a podcast? Or it could just be environmental stuff that happened or maybe not give me too many details that you could, but just something that just went, oh, just the stuff hit the fan and, and all hell broke loose. Well, so there's, there's two, and I, and I wish that I could continue to prevent this from happening. Um, I haven't had an interview that went terrible, um, but I've had tech, technical problems where you'll notice, um, 
like my Dory, I was just looking at my Dory um, old Hoffman interview and, and uh, my camera wasn't recording and I thought it was. And so that's why you have a still picture there for, gosh, through episode two, I know I, I got, I, luckily I had audio recorded separately. Um, so I didn't have to uh, call her back and say, Hey, we need to do this again. Um, but that, and then the audio problems, um, you know, my first recorder, I only had two microphones and, um, I remember with my John Hamer and my, uh, uh, Locke Mackay, Lachlan Mackay interview, they're both from the community of Christ. I thought, well, I'm putting the good microphones on them because nobody cares about me and I'll just use the camera microphone. And so, uh, when I talk, it sounds terrible. Um, but I kind of knew now I have a recorder that I'll have four microphones. Um, so usually it's the tech problems. I haven't had any really bad situations with, with people, uh, for the most part. Um, you know, everybody's been super nice, super cordial. Um, but yeah, my biggest snafu is just tech issues, either sound or, or video or whatever. So. Yeah, I've been getting an education from you just about all the manpower hours that you put into this, which is amazing to me. So have you ever thought about doing like something out of the box, like have a guest that wasn't necessarily in the Mormon world or maybe an unusual person that you'd like to interview or or do something different with like take your podcast on a different direction for just a different episode? Or have you thought of like different ideas of things you might want to explore? <laughs> You know, I, uh, I have a friend, Kurt Frankham. He has a Leading Saints podcast, and he talked about leadership um, and how to be a better leader. And uh, he's interviewed some people that I've really wanted to interview, like Frank Layden from the Utah Jazz. You know, he used to coach the Utah Jazz. But I can't figure out how I would get Frank on because it's not Mormon history related at all. So um, I'd love to have Frank on there. I've, I've thought about Thurl Bailey. Um, I kind of know Thurl a little bit, um, but uh, he's a former jazz player, and he he converted to the LDS Church. Um, so he played in the NBA for a bunch of years, and then he went to Italy for a few years, and he joined the church in Italy, and then he came back and he played for the jazz for a year or two after. So it was kind of during his NBA career, but while he was in Italy. Um, but I haven't really been able to figure out a uh, – good angle for that um I, you know there's there's lots of sports people i'd love to to interview but but i you know i'm i'm so mormon history focused that i try to try to keep with that so okay so of course right now you've been working on the uh, brent ashworth interviews and of course in the last few weeks we've had the murder among the mormons on premiere on netflix and it's caused quite a buzz um You've probably seen a surge in viewers interested, you know, in those topics. Absolutely. Um, so what has that meant to you to have this renewed interest in some of your older guests? And then you're putting out new material, which you're kind of filming it and editing it and putting out there, which is a little different than what you normally do. What's it been like uh, with going through this whirlwind? Yeah, it's been fun. I've, I've tried to take advantage of that. So, um, yeah, my, my old Hoffman, especially Shannon Flynn, uh, those interviews are really good. Um, you know, a lot of the comments I get, with, especially with Shannon, are what happened to his voice? And um, he had lung cancer and it had 
big chunk of his lung removed. And so it's kind of nice for people to hear him in his normal voice. Um, cause now, um, now his voice, you know, he, he, it's almost like a loud whisper. And, uh, yeah, so I, 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 when I, when I ahead. saw him on the Netflix, they, they had the image of, of him for the ad. I thought, Oh, Rick's had him on there. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, well, he's been on there. And then he started talking on the, on the trailer. And I thought, Oh, that's a different guy. So I completely disconnected. And then earlier, I was actually earlier today, I was going through some old stuff and I thought, I'm going to look at that. And I played the tape and I realized that is Shannon Flynn. And I was listening yeah. to your video. So thank you for answering that because yeah. And that's good that people can hear his original voice and that you documented that for, for. Yeah. Shannon just gave an interview this weekend and I uh, found out that one of the nerve to his vocal cord was paralyzed during the surgery. And, and that's that's why his voice and in fact he's had a new surgery that's trying to fix that but he's you know he's gonna sound like president Kimball for the rest of his life probably and president Kimball had a had a raspy voice too so it's sad but I, you know I'm, I'm glad we still have Shannon around you know and lung cancer is not anything to mess with so that's for sure yeah no this is very interesting yeah so this has been uh you know this whole Hoffman thing of course this this would cause interest for outsiders who outside of Mormonism to want yeah. to investigate. You know, I did, I, I recently did a review of the Salamander book. You know, I thought this is a good introduction to people are interested in um, the topic. And so I thought, okay, this is kind of a cool time for people to kind of get to know a little bit about Mormonism and its history. And I think what we're doing, you know, what might be beneficial to the outsiders as well. And mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's been an opportunity. So, here you are, you know, you kind of alluded to this earlier in our conversation. And when somebody asked you, like, how is it that you have all this information, okay, uh, about the full spectrum of Mormonism, and you know the entire history, and you kind of know some of the things that maybe uh, an average Sunday-going Mormon doesn't know. And so you've been exposed to all this history because you're just so interested in it. Um, I just would like to know how is that informed and strengthened and your faith? Well, you know, I'm going to cheat. Um, I know John DeLynn had a, uh, I'm trying to be nice, <laughs> uh, but I, I don't know how to be nice. A hit piece on a recent uh, fireside that, um, that uh, Patrick Mason uh, gave uh, Pat Patrick's the uh, head of Mormon studies at Utah State University, and um, somebody in the Mormon historians group said, "Can we can we get this without John DeLynn's, um commentary?" And I was so glad uh, to do that because I don't I don't understand what John has against Patrick Mason because Patrick's one of the nicest people that you can meet, and I think he um, he acknowledges a lot most of the problems with church history. Um, and, and uh, I just, I think the world of Patrick, Patrick's a good guy. Um, and I, and I think Patrick's fair, but one of the things Patrick said was, you know, there's, there's kind of this narrative, especially in the ex Mormon communities of, Hey, if you study church history, you're guaranteed to lose your testimony. And Patrick said, that's just not true. He said, for one, I I'm, I know all this stuff, and I'm a believer, and I would I would put myself in that category too. It's not 
it's not a given that you have to lose your testimony. If you study the Bible, I mean, there's lots of problems with the Bible, with the Exodus story. Did Moses even exist? You know, we've kind of touched on that. Um, and I'd like to get more into biblical um, commentary and that sort of a thing. Um, I, I did that with Colby Townsend earlier, and we, we got into a lot more than I expected with that interview. Um, and so there are lots of people who know the issues of the Bible, of the Book of Mormon, of church history, of Mountain Meadows Massacre that still believe. And so it just feels like a false narrative that, oh, if you study church history, I'm compelled to disbelieve. I mean, I acknowledge there's there's lots of problems. You know, the Mountain Meadows Massacre is one of the worst it is the I would say it is the worst chapter in Mormon history. Probably the second worst is the Mark Hoffman bombings, um, and I think the church is more of a victim in that than than they were in the Mountain Meadows. But you know, if we look at the Crusades, all of us, if we if we're Christians, we in a sense bear that terrible atrocity, um, and um, you know, there's lots of stuff in. Lots of skeletons in everybody's closet, uh, whether you're Muslim or Jewish. You know, when I look at the stories of of the walls of Jericho and how the 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 Jews, you know, they walked around seven times and then killed every man, woman, child, and animal. I mean, that's genocide. How can we be as Christians or Jews or Muslims? How can we defend that? Like that's terrible. That's not what Christ taught. That's that that that's terrible. And so, um, so I don't care who you are. If you're a student of the Scriptures, um, whether it's the Bible, the Book of Mormon, whatever, you've got to deal with these issues. You know, I look at at Abraham. One of the most appalling things, you know, we talk about Abraham, the the father of monotheism. I mean, he was the original Moses in a sense. The fact that he sent out his wife Hagar and child to go die in the desert—that's appalling to me. You know, I and 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 as Christians, we've we've been conditioned to say, "Oh, but God had a plan," and and. Jacob was supposed to be the guy, not Ishmael. And I, I mean, if you really look at that, I think there's there's some serious spiritual problems that, that you have to deal with, um, whether you're, you know, no matter what your background is. And and you you can still choose to believe. Um, and, I, and in some cases, it is a choice. Um but, you know, I guess the article of faith, uh, I'm trying to remember which one it is, um, is we believe thing, all things in hope. Let's see. <laughs> I'm going to butcher it now. I had it a second ago. But um, seek after the good things. Um, faith, virtue, love, charity, kindness, humility, diligence. Um, indeed, we believe we follow in the admission of Paul. Um Seek after the good things. I'm not going to defend Abraham sending Ishmael out to die in the desert with Hagar. I'm not. That that to me that's that's a that no Christian would do that. Whether or not I have a testimony of polygamy, which I don't, um, that that's just appalling behavior. Um, so 
there's there's lots of things that that every Christian, I think, if you're a serious stu- student of the Bible, you need to 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 look at and and come to grips with. And you can't just say, "Oh, it compels me to disbelieve." Maybe it does. Maybe if if you're happier outside of a of a church, I don't want you to be miserable. Um, you shouldn't be miserable. Maybe maybe Christianity is not for you, but there are a lot of good good and bad things with every church, with every institution, and and I actually like wrestling with these dilemmas. Um, but you know, I'm, it's not for everybody. Um, I, I'm sure. There's probably some people that are like, how can he attack the story of Abraham? But I've got problems with that story. <laughs> got big and, problems. And, you know, and you should. I think that that's, uh, you know, those are things that I've struggled with as well. I mean, there's many things in the Old Testament, and there's even things in the New Testament. I mean, even Christopher Hitchens said, you think the Old Testament's bad? Well, Jesus gave us hell. Uh, you know, the concept of hell. It's like, oh boy, that's a good point, Chris. Yeah, point taken. So, you know, that's the thing about uh, having a real, like, a, so a, a challenged faith is, uh, if, you're never, if your faith is never challenged and you're just, and your view of faith is basically what you were taught as a child and you never wrestled it with it, you never, we should wrestle with God every day. You know, that's part of the faith journey, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and it actually strengthens us and when you're not wrestling with him and, and, and there is, you're absolutely right about everything you said, you got to wrestle with that. Now, the problem that I often see is the very thing that they criticize, uh, let's say fundamentalists uh, and people, literalists and everything like that, who have a very black and white worldview is that people like John DeLynn and the ex-Mormon crowd, they fall into a type of fundamentalism where everything is either or black or white. And they start quoting scriptures at you like a fundamentalist does to prove their point. And I'm like, okay, guys, you're, you're kind of doing the same thing. And not only that, but you've basically just made materialism your new God. And you have your sex and you have your oh, sex, S-D-C-T-S, you know, within, <laughs> I'm not sure there's sex too as well, but you have, all the, you, you, have, <laughs> you have all these competing ideas of groups and it basically becomes a pseudo-religion. And so to me, the, the, the materialistic alternative to faith is such a, a, a dead end. And, you know, I always tell people that the spiritual aspect of we as humans is something that needs to be nurtured because we are the ancestors of those people who started burying their dead when they recognized about 150,000 years ago that we're more than walking pieces of meat, that there's something, there's a spark, there's something important that we need to preserve and bury them with things that are important to them and have ceremony and have an idea of um, an afterlife, a spirit, a soul. And we have to realize that that is hardwired into us. And that's what made us who we are. And to deny that is to deny your basic humanity and you're denying your very ancestors. Now we're talking about pioneer ancestors. We're talking about people from 150,000 years ago that they helped us make us who we were. And the spiritual aspect is something that needs to be nurtured. And if they don't do that, they end up becoming very angry and very hurtful. And they end up just adopting materialism and things of this world as their God. And I just find that to be a very sad thing to do well you know it's hard because not everybody likes to study this stuff you know uh i I just had a conversation with my wife and she doesn't like that i would question the story of abraham or or whatever she she doesn't like that i like to get into controversial things she just wants a simple faith and um you know there are people for whom and i think we need to respect that 
as 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 an as a viable alternative. Um, there are people that like John who want to tear that down, and and I that that's to me that's not mature. Um, you know, I know lots of ex Mormons. I have I have friends who are ex Mormons. I've talked to critics like Sandra Tanner. I've talked to Dan Vogel. Um, who are probably as critical as you're going to get about uh, LDS topics, um, and the you if if that if that makes you happy, I guess that's fine. But I don't like it when people um, try to missionize. I guess uh, you know when when I, when I talk with you, I'm not trying to convert you. We're just having a conversation. John Delin is trying to convert. <laughs> At least it feels like to me. He didn't used to be that way, uh, but since he got excommunicated, and I can understand where he's coming from. I think he's angry. I think he's hurt. If that had happened to me, I would be angry and hurt. I would want to lash out. Um, but I think that, that I know lots of, of ex-Mormons who can respect people of faith. And, and it just feels like John hasn't gotten there yet. I, I still think he's on his journey and I hope he gets there. Um, but he doesn't respect, he doesn't respect people like Patrick Mason or Terrell Givens or Richard Bushman or whoever. And to me, that's just, you know, the scripture comes to mind from Proverbs, a woman scorned. <laughs> um he feels like a woman scorned, like she's gonna, she, he's gonna take it out on on the church and that sort of thing. And I, to me, that's an understandable reaction. I just hope he can mature out of that phase, um, you know. And I, I, I can almost hear that I'm already gonna get hate mail. How dare you, John's a great guy, and John is a great guy. John's a friend of mine, but I don't, I don't think the way his podcast has turned is. Um, on the one hand, I, I, I understand he wants to cater the ex-Mormon community and to help people through faith, but it feels like he's, and, and I think that that's a good thing, but sometimes it feels like you get in some of these groups and it's just an anger churning thing. And it's like, we're going to burn down the church. And I don't think that's productive. Um, and I, I think his group, especially, um, while I understand they need support and, I, and they do, it feels to me like that's a very unproductive way to do it. Uh, just churning through anger and being angry all the time. They're, they're, they're your stereotypical angry ex-Mormon. Yeah. And, and, you know, I do watch John Dillon a lot. I mean, I probably watched 10 out of the 12 hours that he had with that Egyptologist from the University of Chicago <laughs> uh, because I'm not just interested in the, in the topic. And uh, I, on a personal level, I actually like John from what I see, you know, so there is that. I mean, I, I think he seems like a really nice guy. Um, I've been there. You know, I felt that exact same anger that he's felt. And he is on, in his own way trying to be constructive, you know, in that he's doing things and he's being productive yeah. at this time. And but, yeah, I, I do feel that he is on a journey. And, you know, it's like as Christians, we need to, you know, just have a heart for, of Christ for them too, you know, and just try to love them. And yeah. I think if we, if, if we can show them that love, then maybe some of that anger will melt away. And, and to me, that's what it's all about is having that, you know, bridging those gaps because, you know, being angry at God or being, being angry at the church 
is a very spiritual faith type kind of thing. Anger is also part of who we are. And so he's just playing, he's just kind of in that other spectrum. And, uh, you know, so that's what we just got to look at is just being on that journey. But I completely get where you're coming from because I, my heart goes out to the guy and, uh, and, and, and it's I, like, and, and I feel and I bad. Like John. Because, yeah. And, and I feel bad because I, he'll go after Terrell Gibbons. It's like, well, I, I don't understand why they don't go on my show. Well, like John, <laughs> you know, you, you think they're going to come on your show as you rip them some more? Is that going to help, John? I mean, right, yeah, on. yeah. And then he has like this where he starts criticizing their new book with this panel of people. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I first said, oh, Terrell Gibbons is coming on. This is great. And then I realized, oh, it's going to just they were positive about certain aspects of the book. You know, I thought that they were they were trying to be fair. But it's like. I, I just don't get how he doesn't understand why they wouldn't want to come on. You know, yeah. that's funny to me. It's, you know, I mean, I've been turned down by lots of people and I don't, I don't talk about it. Um, so one guy turned me down three times and then he's finally said yes. And I, you know, through a friend. So I think it's important to, um, you, if you're going to publicly call out Terrell Givens and Patrick Mason, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. You know, it's not going to help. So. Yeah, that's for sure. So here we are. We're in. We're twenty years into the twenty first century. The future was the year two thousand, of course. Growing up, right? <laughs> and so we're twenty years into the twenty first century. We're getting close to well, two hundredth anniversary of the church, and the and of course the two hundredth anniversary of the first vision. So as we enter into this new time period, now that we are in the information age. And people are becoming informed what's on the internet and the church is, is publishing the gospel topics essays. What does the future of Mormonism look like to you? I'm a historian, not a future teller. <laughs> well, okay. All right. But based on, based on history. So, I mean, what, what do you think? So like, you know, the history and, and you know, the history of religion and stuff like that. Do you, do you have any inkling where you think this is going? Do you think there might be like a, like some kind of turn that you wouldn't have expected something down the road that you don't, didn't see coming or. I mean, it's like my March madness bracket. I'm terrible at picking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. L- L- loyal uh, beat uh, Illinois today. So yeah, I saw a lot that. of people's brackets. <laughs> yeah. That busted a lot of brackets. Um, so, I mean, you know, the just the stuff that's happened the last five years has been a surprise to me. Two-hour church now instead of three. Um, that's been a surprise. Um, uh, what they're doing to the Salt Lake Temple is horrible, if you ask me, and the Manti Temple. I'm very disappointed to hear about that, you know, we're, 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 we're killing our own history. Why would we do that? Um, I, I think President Hinckley would be rolling in his grave to find out what we're doing there. Um, to, to take out those beautiful murals that we spent so much time and effort and money and um, um, uh, you know that to me that's very disappointing. Um, uh, but I'm not the prophet, so above my pay grade. But um, you know the the combining of elders and high priests, I would never have predicted that. I remember I, I walked in late to that meeting uh, with my son, and I was like. Did they just dissolve the high priest quorum? <laughs> the guy's like, yeah. And I was like, wow. Um, so President Nelson's definitely t- got his surgeon's knife out and he's cutting out what he thinks is garbage. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't have predicted all the stuff, many of the things that, that Elder Nelson or President Nelson has done. Um, and I have no idea who's who's following. 
um, we, we don't have any other surgeons in the in the quorum, <laughs> so so maybe 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 it won't change much. But yeah, it, it, it's, uh, future telling is is very hard. So I, yeah, I can I, imagine. I yeah. <laughs> What's that? I wish I could answer that better. No, that's that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I knew that was kind of thrown a curveball at you a little bit there, but yeah, I, I feel the same way. I kind of think that we're going to see continued growth in the third world, like in in if with religion in general, you'll see it in the Mormonism, everything like that. I kind of feel like maybe we'll see maybe evangelicals and and Mormons start to maybe work together a little bit more because they'll feel that they're maybe a little under siege, perhaps. But I also think the one thing, you know, I just I'm, I'm a very unique uh, evangelical, so I'm not the typical one. But, you know, as I watch these podcasts or talk to different people, uh, restoration branches or um, watch faithful podcasts, you know, very conservative ones. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to them and I'm realizing these, these are evangelicals. They talk just like them. They have some of the same fears, some of the same things that um, motivate them. Uh, some of their same views are very, so there seems to be so much overlap between what I see between, you know, many Mormons and evangelicals that I, I, I wonder if it's possible that we could find a way. Now I have to tell you my, I have very few, just a few people that I've told. I live actually literally live in a Christian community uh, where it's full of retired missionaries, pastors, people who had radio programs, televangelists. Uh, I mean, the whole gambit of evangelicalism is right outside of my door. And I've only told a handful of people this because they're they. I think a lot of people would be very concerned about what I'm doing. Uh, but I'm hoping that something of what I'm doing might be the start of building something. That so, so that we can just put, break down these barriers that are be, between us and that we can engage each other a, as brothers and sisters. Well, I respect what you and, and Richard Muau are doing. Um, you know, my view, and this is a little bit political, I don't mean to go that far, but, you know, Jerry Falwell in the 1980s um, with the moral majority, um, he tried to, to, to get a uh, – link between Mormons and evangelicals, and he, and he was successful, um, but especially in the 1980s under Reagan. But um, it seems lately, um, and I, I believe Jerry Falwell did that with evangelicals kicking and screaming, and we don't want Mormons to help us. But but Jerry understood that, that you know, with certain things, we could get some stuff accomplished. But, you know, I look at people like Robert Jeffries, um, and and those sorts of people that you know they'll vote for for Donald Trump, who's had lots of affairs and uh, speaks terribly and wouldn't know a Bible if it hit him in the head, but but attacked people like Mitt Romney as not being Christian, not you know. And it seems like the, that coalition that Falwell developed in the eighties has 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 broken, and I appreciate people like you. And, and Richard Muau that are trying to kind of build this back up. But I don't see a lot of evangelicals uh, wanting to embrace Mormons. They think Mormons are too weird. They don't, you know, our Jesus is different than your Jesus. And I mean, to some, to some degree, I guess that's true, but, but shouldn't there, I think there should be lots more of places where we agree than where we disagree. And I don't understand the animosity from certain evangelicals. Um, and I, it, it bothers me. It bothers me a lot. And 
And I will tell you, when you first reached out to me, I was a little bit nervous. But you're a nice guy. And so, you know what? I'll, I'll give everybody a chance. And, and you, you know, you're different. You're, you're not Robert Jeffries. And, and God bless you, you know. <laughs> I do not like that guy at all. But and there, there are too many like him. I'm not a big fan of the guy. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm just kind of my own person, um, you know. And I recognize my, my, my past and where I come from, and respect that. And I'm just trying to. I'm not. I guess I'm still on a faith journey as well. But I'm also kind of there. Like I've been through a lot, and maybe some of the stuff that I went through can be helpful to other people who are also going through their wrestling with God. And I think that's a healthy thing. And part of it is just reaching out to people that are different from you and learning from them. Somebody went to me and says, well, as long as you're there to correct them. I said, no, no, I, I want them to correct me <laughs> uh, because I know that we have a lot of prejudices and there's a lot of fear in the evangelical community. And, you know, I always try people tell people fear is not from God. And if you're afraid and you're fearful of other people, you need to question where that fear is coming from. Mm -hmm. and, and, and understand that, you know, God doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but if you're living in, in, in fear all the time, then you need to reassess and look in the mirror and quit pointing your fingers at the other. And, and then, then maybe you'll be able to start to grapple with God as well and how it is to have a challenge, a faith that's challenging, but is ultimately rewarding. And, uh, that's the way, that's how you live in the spirit. And that's how you can achieve the fruits of the spirit is by just and trying to embrace the, the spirit of Christ. So that's kind of a little spiritual part there, but so yeah, no, that's great. <laughs> and, and so I want to thank you so much for this, Rick. You know, you were my first interviewer, uh, interviewee, I guess. And uh, it's really meant a lot to me to be able to do this now. Um, you will be the among one of many. I've got already about three or four author interviews uh, lined up. I was never expecting that Rick Bennett, the man that's been on my Roku television where I watch uh, you on my 43 inch screen and there's Rick Bennett now talking to me in, in my office here. Uh, it's been a real honor and a real privilege, Rick. And, uh, I'm going to leave links in the description to your website as well mm -hmm. as to your channel. Um, and so please support Rick and everything that he's doing. Uh, he's doing a great job. It's really done a lot of good for me as well and given me an education. Um, Rick, before we wrap this up, was there anything you wanted to add? No, I, I appreciate. I wish more evangelicals were like you. <laughs> so I, I think there's a lot that we can do interfaith, um, and and I, and I wish that more 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 of us would would reach out to people we're we're scared of and and talk to them. Um, I think that's what Christ does. I think that's what Christ did. Christ reached out to the stranger, and we all need to to treat each other as Christ did and and will be a, a better society so well amen to that well folks thank you very much for sitting through my first interview please like and subscribe i definitely want to hear your comments and let's uh, take this journey together and have some fun thank you and have a great day thanks